back. Today, we have Claire Taylor. Claire Taylor is a fiction strategist and the owner of FFS Media. She helps authors create aligned and sustainable writing careers using various tools, including the Enneagram. You can find all her author services along with her 30 plus fiction books at www.ffsmedia.com. Sorry, FFS.media. And yes, FFS stands for what you think it does. And I made sure to ask. And she said it does stand for, for fuck's sake. Is that correct, Claire? Yes, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> I will not deny it. This is my twin flame here. So Claire has a new book out. She did a Kickstarter, which was so much fun. Um, I'm going to read the description and then we're going to pass over to you and ask you a whole bunch of questions. So I hope you're ready. All okay. right. Okay. Reclaim your author career using the Enneagram to build your strategy, unlock deeper purpose, and celebrate your career. Overwhelmed by all the ways to write and market your books, discover a simple framework to align your business and reclaim your author career. Are you an indie author who's struggling to stay in the game? Are you ready to supercharge your career while staying true to your values? Do you crave greater fulfillment and success on a daily basis? Claire Taylor has made a name for herself as a best-selling author of both offbeat and on-market fiction and as a story consultant and career strategist for some of the biggest names in the biz. And now you can learn her tried and true system for authors to discover their gifts, avoid all too common pitfalls, falls, and build the career of their dreams. Breaking an author business down into four main components, Reclaim Your Author Career uses the Enneagram framework to help writers rediscover their core motivation and align their work with what fuels them. By examining creative values, persona, themes, and protagonists, Claire guides you through an exploration of yourself that will leave you wiser, refreshed, and excited to make the tough decisions that lead to lasting success. And Reclaim Your Author Career, you'll discover which creative values make or break your happiness. Lord, I need that how to identify the distractions and stressors that lead you off course, why you're failing to attract the right readers for your books and ways to adjust, how to leverage theme to build your fandom, why picking the right protagonist can make or break your brand and much, much more. Reclaim Your Author Career is the insightful guide you've been looking for to build a writing life that fits like a glove, brings you the satisfaction you've dreamed of, and empowers you to create a life worth celebrating. If you like individual advice, fresh storytelling strategies, and deeper self-knowledge, then you'll love Claire Taylor's revolutionary approach to unlocking the creative life you deserve. Whew, that was Good a Lord. whole lot. Who wrote that? Was, that? that was a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> We love a good nonfiction blurb that goes on and on, right? What? You know, it doesn't look that big when you're looking at it. I know. And then Man. you keep, you start reading. It's like, wow, my jaw got sore. Now, what made you want to write this book? I know by listening to, to your podcast, Selmar Book Show, you talk about your Enneagrams a lot. And I am like, so interested in learning more about this today. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I started writing this. Um, it was just sort of this evolution of I did a lot of Enneagram work myself and with my mastermind. Um, and then I was using it for my writing and I started kind of working with people on that to help them with their stories and using it as sort of a framework that I included in other story consulting stuff. And then I just started seeing that people were making decisions that were not aligned with them and they didn't necessarily have the language for it. So I was like, well, the Enneagram is the language for really understanding your motivation and what's driving you and uh, how, how to make decisions in this career because you're pretty much on your own, you know, when you're making decisions as an indie author um, or an author at all. But uh, then I started the five-day uh, indie, I think I call it the indie author alignment. Now it's the indie author supercharge. 
It's my free five-day course. How did and, I miss that? Huh? I missed that. How did I miss that? Oh, because I'm terrible at, at letting people know about stuff. Oh, then it's your fault. Okay. Yeah, it's absolutely my fault. I'm sure of it. So um, I did that and people, you know, were doing the, this little free five-day course and it was basically what the book is, but very, very simplified. It was like an introduction to kind of the concepts we talk about in the book. And then I was like, I just need to write this book. Like I need to write a book that kind of gives people more here. So I started working on that and I chipped away at it off and on for a while. Um you know, I'd practice my dictation. I never dictated a book. And so I would go on these long walks and be talking about Enneagram. And I felt like, I kind of felt like a cult leader, you know, like, I don't know. Like, oh my God. Like if you've seen anything about, you know, Nexium cult, I felt like Keith Ranieri just on the, his long walks just, and I was like, am I, am I turning into a cult leader? But I'm not, I promise. Um, I don't want that much responsibility over other people. No, thanks. No. Um, so then the book kind of came around and I was I was like, I don't really know what to do with this. Like I haven't written any nonfiction. I know I could figure out how to market it. But then Kickstarter came up. Uh, Monica, I've known Monica for a long time, Monica Leonel, and uh, she and Russell Nolte are on this, you know, Kickstarter uh, kick. And so I was like, oh, this would be perfect for it. I have all these other courses. I have multiple courses and master classes and all this other material that, again, I'm terrible at letting people know about. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I can let them know about all of it at once. So that's that I finished up the book and everything and got it all out there at once. So does your book actually lay out how one finds their Enneagram? Yeah, there. So it is a process. Um, I do go through. So I have a whole chapter on the Enneagram, what it is, what it's all about. And then I give brief descriptions, which um, the problem with descriptions is that they are <laughs> descriptive of behaviors that can stem from motivations. But a single motivation can lend itself to a lot of different behaviors because it depends on the environment one's in. It depends on the social expectations of race and gender and all these other things, um, how that you know motivation manifests as behavior. So I kind of took, uh, you know, aimed my arrow at the largest portion of the most common behaviors for that type um, and how that type might feel at certain times or a lot of the time. And so there are those descriptions in there. Um, and as you go through, you'll start to go, oh, yeah, I've been making a lot of decisions like a type five, the investigator um, for my career. So that's probably where I'm at. But I also include other resources. There are tests you can take um, online that are pretty good. But I would always say read up on your top scores because it does take some uh, looking around because sometimes there are a lot of reasons why we might test as different types as our number one um, that are not actually our type. So you got to kind of do that reading on each type and look at the totality of the decisions you've made in your life and remove some of the you know uh, decisions that you did because someone with more power in your life told you to do them that way. So yeah, there's a lot to work with, but I do try and get people acquainted with it so they can have it narrowed down to at least one or two by the time they proceed on through the rest of the book. Now, is that the INDJ thing and all those? No, it's a, it's different. Um, oh, so that would be I like- I took one of them. I just couldn't remember what it was. Yeah. So that would be Myers-Briggs. So Myers-Briggs is sort of a descriptive- kind of test. It tells you, you know, introvert, extrovert, kind of describing things, but it doesn't really get to the source. So what I like about the Enneagram is that it breaks down into nine types, Ennea being the root for the Greek root for nine. Um, and each type is 
grouped based on core motivation. So that's a core fear and a core desire. Uh, that is at the root of everything that they do, essentially. So an example is if you're a type two, which is the helper, it's all about being worthy of love, which everyone wants to be worthy of love, right? But if you feel like you're fundamentally unworthy of love, that's a very specific motivation that's going to lead to a lot of things. And so the helpers tend to be very caring and giving people. They are giving the love that they wish they could receive. So these are the caretakers. These are the people who always show up with you know, a, me- a warm meal when you're struggling. They give and they give and they give. Um, almost too sweet for this world. is, And that is all a manifestation of this deep fear that they are unworthy of unconditional love. They've lost touch with the unconditional love for themselves. And so they tend to t- try and seek love externally, which is always going to be conditional, right? Um, so that would be like a type two versus say a type five. The investigator whose core motivation is all about uh, self-sufficiency and uh, that kind of turns into this um, knowledge seeking. So it manifests in needing to learn things. The investigators tend to need facts. They're very, very head-based. They're much more out of touch with their heart than, say, the helper. Um, And they want to feel like they have enough energy to take care of themselves. So they will gain knowledge. They will gain resources. And they tend to be very drained by interactions are very um, sort of uh, less enthusiastic to go, to go out and have interactions with other people because they're afraid that that will drain their energy to the point where they then don't have enough to be self-sufficient. So mm-hmm. it's that need for self-sufficiency that really drives this investigator. They want to be able to do everything on their own without asking for help. Yep. And they want to <laughs> be able to figure out the problem um, with their head. If figuring out the problem requires uh, intuition or their heart, it may be impossible for them to figure out unless they've done a lot of work because those are two centers that they're not so in touch with. I feel so, like that might be mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so there, usually we have a few that we're really high on. And so like you, you would look at it and go, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me, like maybe with three of them. And there are a lot of reasons why that can be. Uh, depending on where they fall in relation to each other, it can tell us different things. There's sort of constellations that you look for. Um, but that would be something that you go to like a consultant like me or something to figure out because it's a little bit more complicated. But then you want to take two that are similar and think of a sit or that that rank high for you and think of a situation where you can only satisfy one need or the other. So if you are like, I, you know, a, a two and a five almost never a confusion there. You know if you're a two or a five. There's almost never. But uh, eights and ones are often confused because eights are the challengers. So they're all about power and make, making sure no one can harm or control them. And the ones are the reformers and they're all about righteousness and goodness. And they're, they want to make sure that they do the right thing and they're not in the wrong. So that can look very similar in a lot of ways. That can look very similar in certain situations because the ones and the eights are willing to go on a good old fashioned uh, rampage <laughs> in that, you know, the eights will just say, oh, you're trying to exert power over me. No way. I'm going to burn this to the ground. And the ones will say, this is unrighteous what you're doing. This is unjust use of power. I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to go on my little crusade to burn this to the ground. So the behaviors tend to look very similar between the ones and the eights where they can. So you would ask yourself if you're going between, say, a one and an eight, 
um, if I was in a position where I had to do what was right or what would get me out from under someone else's power, which one would I choose? Um, so for me, I'm a type one, the reformer. So I will always, I will let someone have unjust power over me if it means that I know that I'm doing the right thing. That was actually one of the questions somebody sent me to ask you was what should someone do if they feel like they belong in several Enneagram types? Yeah, that's so that's one way to start to figure it out, to really look at a situation where you can only pick one. See if you've been in those situations in your life and which one you've chosen. Um, and then, you know, there are some types like nines and fours have a really hard time Um you know, being able to figure out their type and there's specific reasons why. So the four is the individualist and the fours don't want to be like anyone else. They want to be unique. Um, and so they don't like to put themselves in a box. So since the test is self-diagnosing, you, it asks you questions about, you know, your behavior. It's like, well, I could do this, but I might do this because I, I don't, I'm unpredictable, you know? And that's part of the four is they tend to attach their identity to their moods a lot. And so as our moods change, our identities would shift, you know, if you're a four. So fours can have a really hard time figuring that out. And then nines as well, because nines are the peacemakers and they want to be whole and connected. And so what they do is they they really don't see any differentiation between people. They see the commonalities of everything uh, before they see the differences. And they have this amazing ability to be able to see things from other people's point of view, but not just in like, a, oh yeah, I guess I see where you're coming from, but like actually be there and feel all the gravity of it. And so they, that can make them very um, uncomfortable with making decisions because they see all sides equally, but it also makes it really hard for them to figure out what type they are because they can identify with every type so well. But ultimately, uh, nines are, there are some telltale signs of nines that you start to see come through, like uh, lack of, or uh, resistance to conflict. Nines will opt out of conflict almost every time because they're scared that through having conflict with people, they'll sever the connection. And that's their biggest fear. So they're, they're little telltale signs that you get to know. Um, but there's all kinds of reasons why you may not test as your type. Now, how, how would someone test for their type? How does one find out what their type mm -hmm. is? Well, there are tests. So there is EnneagramInstitute.com has a really good one. That is the ready model of the Enneagram, which is the Rizzo Hudson um, you know, type index. But uh, that's the one I prefer. And EnneagramInstitute.com has a test. It's 12 bucks. But if you want a free test, there is one if you just Google Eclectic Energies Enneagram. There's one there. And there's also Crystal Nose if you... Um, Google Crystal Nose Enneagram, you can find that one. I think you do have to sign up to a list at this point for Crystal Nose, but you can always unsubscribe. It's a pretty good test. Both of those are free. I'll make sure I put those in the show notes too, in case people want to check those out. Um, another question somebody had was, can your Enneagram number change? That's a great question. And no, but it can appear to change. So your Enneagram type, um, there's a big discussion in Enneagram experts on whether or not we are born with our type or if it develops around the age of like three or four. And it doesn't really matter either way when it comes down to it, because when you're nonverbal, who cares, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. You know, you're just kind of moved from place to place. But one thing that everyone does agree on is that you are the same type your whole life. So people start to think maybe my type has changed. Uh, usually when they have been in a stress 
situation for a long time. So when we're under stress, um, prolonged stress that we can't necessarily deal with, it's a little more than we can deal with, we start to resemble a specific type that is not our dominant type. So we start to take on characteristics of what's called our stress type. And so we can look like that type and we can live in that stress type for years, but it's just a coping mechanism. It's just how um, our number under stress starts to appear. And so then we can mistype as that. So during um, the pandemic, people were taking tests and they were constantly mistyping as their stress type. And I was having to walk them through, no, that's not yeah. probably not your type. That's Looking at your scores, <laughs> that's probably not your type. You're probably just under a lot of stress because we all are. We were all um, broke and locked down. And I know. Isolated. Yeah. Everyone was dealing with things that we have not been trained for. You know? Well, I imagine now types are going to start changing too because the cost of everything has gone up for everybody, but our pay is not going up. You know. Yeah. There are a lot of, a lot of factors that can uh, play into how you test. So if you see two types, knowing what the stress type of each number is, and there are arrows on the Enneagram, it's a circular diagram, and there are these arrows pointing from one to the other. And that is telling you where your stress type is. It's also telling you where your security or growth type is. So when you're around friends and just like feeling very secure around family, you know, the, the family you like, um, and you're just hanging out, you're going to look more like a different type. You're going to take on some characteristics of your growth type. Um, and then once you do a lot more work, you're going to take on more healthy characteristics of your growth type. Um, but so yeah, there's a lot of movement within the Enneagram. And so it's a very flexible framework, which is what I like because it's not going to box you in. Um, the type four individualists like because they don't want to be pinned down anyway. So it's, you know, it's it's a model that you have to kind of get acquainted with, but it really does explain why certain thought patterns crop up during certain times of your life and in certain stressful situations. Um, and can you can start to recognize them and and dismantle them. See, now I want to go do mine because I'm one of those people, the more stressed out I get, the harder I work. Like, oh, mm -hmm. well, I'm broke. Well, I'll just do this instead. Like, I know I want to go find out what mine is so bad. Or if I get mad, oh, mm -hmm. you should see how clean my house gets. Uh -huh. <laughs> I want to find out what mine is. Now, obviously, there's mental aspects. Are there physical aspects of the Enneagram? I'm like reading off questions that people sent me because they were so oh, interested that's in interesting. This. Yeah. I mean, so there are some, and, and the problem is there's just not enough data on this because it's really hard to get research money. But, um, yeah, there. So there are some certain problems like associated with certain types. So, um, and this is not to say that only this type gets this problem, um, because there is always you know fluency and always our life experiences shape us as well and um, dictate how our type manifests itself. But there are three. So of the nine types, they break down into three. These three triads of head, heart, and gut. And these are the centers, the three centers, the head center, the heart center, and the gut center. Now, the gut center is also associated with anger. That is the sort of emotion that is underlying a lot of the negative issues that, that those types have to work through. So eights, nines, and ones have underlying anger. Um, they also have access to intuition. That's what the gut is. It's almost like this uh, visceral body experience of the world. And so the eights experience the anger through expressing it, sometimes over-expressing it. They're the challengers. 
the nines experience that anger through dissociating with it from it. They don't, they're the peacemakers and anger threatens conflict and they don't like conflict. So they will ignore their own anger and they will re- sort of like, you know, become like a, uh, a soft landing spot for others, people, people's anger to kind of absorb it and def- diffuse it. And then the ones um, who are the reformers tend to try to, over control the anger to hold it in because ones want to be right. And so a lot of the times uh, you get messages, especially if you're a woman, that angry is bad. And so you hold it in and you try and find an outlet for it. And that tends to be self-righteousness, which is not good. Righteousness is good. Self-righteousness is not good. Um, but you want to find a healthy outlet for it. So it's this very controlled energy of the anger. And now if you imagine holding an anger, we know there are certain health association, your right. health, you know, issues associated with that. Um, nines and ones ha- tend to have uh, like gut issues, which seems almost too literal, but it is it is very common. Um, repressing and not really coming into uh, honest contact with that anger can cause that. But then there are certain, you know, if you look at like the uh, ready model, they do have certain psychological disorders associated with, um, you know, different types. But as far as the physical stuff goes, the one thing that every type benefits from is physical movement, a physical practice. Uh, if you don't have a regular physical practice, if that's yoga or walking or anything, you're just not going to remain in healthier versions of your type because you really need to be activating all three centers, the heart, the head, and the mind. So this or, I'm was, sorry, the heart, the head, and the gut. This wasn't on the list, but like just sitting listening to you, you can hear the passion that you have for this. How did this start for you? Oh, man. Well, I, I learned about it years and years ago. Uh, my mom and my sister took some workshop at their church, actually, and came back and started telling me what type I was. And I was like, that doesn't sound like me. That doesn't sound like me. <laughs> um, I was so mix- misunderstood. Um, but I took the test and I tested as a peacemaker. And I I think I was like 17 or 18 at the time. And I was like, no, that's not right. Um, That's definitely not me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I was the peacemaker in my family. And so Mm -hmm. I had tested that way because of a lot of overlays of my family's expectations. And because, but ultimately the reason I tested as a peacemaker was because in that situation, I believe that keeping the peace was the right thing to do. And that right thing to do ultimately is why I am a type one, the reformer, because it's all about doing the right thing um, at all costs, dying on whatever hill. We have to be very careful as ones. That's part of our growth is to be like, do I need to die on this hill? Maybe <laughs> maybe there's a bigger hill I could die on later on. Um, so yeah, that then you know it kind of fell to the wayside. And then um, I think most people come to the Enneagram when they're feeling stuck which is where I was when I started looking more at it. It was just the patterns of my type were driving me up the wall. I was so sick of myself. I was overworking. Um, I Workaholism was definitely the way it was manifesting for me because I associated productivity with being good. Mm-hmm. And so I looked kind of like a three, which is the achiever, which is all about productivity. But they're essentially trying to create value for like, make themselves feel valuable. For me, it was trying to make myself feel like a good person. And I associated value with that or product, 
you know, productivity with that. So I was working too much. I was having health problems. I was having anxiety like crazy. And then I was at a place where the environment changed, my situation changed so that it was even harder than before. And I couldn't carry all the things. And so that's when it really was like, oh, we've talked about this in this mastermind of mine, but I was like, this makes so much sense. I need to read more and more about this. So I just kept reading and reading and um, reading about all the types. And suddenly my relationships made a lot more sense. And I was like, oh, that's why I'm trying to motivate people by telling them it's the right thing to do. And, you know, nobody could give two shits about that. And so that was kind of like a aha moment for me. And then everything just gets easier when you have more of an understanding of people. And so that's why people do what they do. Why you Yeah, do what why they, they do. do what they do. Yeah. It's it's amazing. And then once you can get pretty good at it and start typing people, um, just by hearing some of the words they're using and some of the phrases they're using and the ideas they're, you know, basing their uh their lives on, you start to go, ah, I see what this person is actually trying to get at. Yeah, growing so, up, they talk about, oh, type A personality and this and that. And I'm like, well, I don't follow under that and with that one. It didn't never seem to make sense. But and what's I really need to take this test because I'm like, oh, I'm that one. No, wait, I'm that one. As you're talking, mm-hmm. like, I need to go do it. <laughs> yeah, let me know what you do. I'll, I'm happy to look at the results for you and, and walk you through it. Um, but yeah, usually when you read up on your type and you read a little bit about it, even if you don't know it's your type yet, it feels a little bit like a kick to the gut because it's going to describe why you've been driving yourself crazy. And it's going to be so obvious. You're going to go, oh man, really? Gosh, this is so simple. I'm so dumb. And then it's also going to describe all of your great traits that for one reason or another, you've been taught to downplay. Either they weren't valued by your family or your community or your, you know, larger society or their traits that maybe, you know, aren't valued in someone like you, you know, if, if you're a woman or you're a person of color, all these different reasons why, or a man, you know, sometimes type twos, the helpers, um, male helpers face a lot of sort of derision because they are very helpful and very, very giving. And these are considered feminine traits, right? Right. But that's who they are and they can't change that. And, and, and they shouldn't, you know, we need a lot of gentle men in this world, just like we need a lot of gentle women in this world. So yeah, it's, it's going to be sort of intrusive when you read your type, but I found it very inspiring because there were a lot of things that I didn't uh, appreciate about myself that are my gifts that I'm supposed to be bringing to this world. And it's like, oh yeah, maybe I should focus on that. Yeah. That productivity one hit home. Cause I always feel like if I'm not doing something, I'm being lazy and I'm really, really fighting myself to take time to just relax. Just take, you know, the weekends were supposed to be time off and then I find myself doing research or working on the nonfiction or deep cleaning my house. Like I just need to take time off, but I feel lazy if I do, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that is really hard. That's something I've struggled with. And I was, um, I was actually laughing at myself the other day. I was in an Enneagram, like a certification thing and talking about <laughs> taking breaks. Cause that is a hard thing for me to do, to take breaks. And I didn't for a long time and I ended up in burnout. Yeah. Big shocker. You don't take <laughs> breaks. You end up in burnout. It's like, duh. Um, one leads to the other. And yet we pretend it doesn't, but I have to trick myself. So one of the hallmarks of being a reformer, type one, is 
a need to be responsible. It's over-identifying with I am responsible and rejecting I am irresponsible, not wanting to to even look at that possibility. Right. But we have to integrate our sort of shadow selves. You know, we are whole humans. We aren't just responsible or irresponsible. We're both. Um, so one of the ways that I make myself take breaks is that I, I actually play to my responsibility, that it's my responsibility to take a break so that I can perform and do the best quality of work because high quality is also something that's very, very important for for my type so that I can produce the highest quality of work. I have to be responsible and take breaks. And that's how I have tricked myself. (laughs) Well, really how I've worked with my type um, and where I'm at with my progress right now to be able to allow myself to take breaks. That makes my PA actually pointed out in like September when I started trying to take time off. She goes, You realize the last time you took time off was in January when you had COVID. I was like, you know, maybe I don't need to work seven days a week. Like <laughs> Yeah. That's not that's not healthy. But again, I feel lazy. So maybe I need to start doing what you're doing. And hey, you know what? It's irresponsible not to rest. I call yeah, my breaks I, when I'm sitting waiting for the, I take care of a, a disabled teenager after school. So when I'm waiting for the bus stop, I'm reading a nonfiction. I've been calling that my breaks. Hmm. I mean, if, really if it actually charges you up, if you're like getting energy from it, then it can't be considered a break. But if you're doing it because you're afraid that you don't have enough information and that you'll be irresponsible or lazy, if you're not always doing something, then that's right. That's a little bit a different situation. Yeah. <laughs> It's not, you're not giving yourself a break. I'm not. That's the thing is when I'm calling it resting, I'm laying on the couch, but I'm reading one of my nonfiction craft books. Mm -hmm. So I'm still, I'm still working, but I have started going downstairs. My husband's a vampire. So our, our living room set up in the basement could God forbid there's any sunlight. Um, I have started going to the couch around seven thirty, eight o'clock and watching actually blacklist right now with my husband. <laughs> so I am chilling out and unwinding before bed. So it's not like work, 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 bedtime. So yeah. I have taken that time to unwind before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what cautions would you give about the Enneagram? Again, this is a, questions that were given to me because people were super interested when I yeah. brought this up. Um, okay. Cautions. I definitely have some cautions. So if you are using the Enneagram to figure out your type, so you can say, well, this is just how I am. I'm just a type seven, so I'm never going to commit to anything. Get over it. That's not what it's for. It's not for, um, justifying maladaptive behavior and thoughts. It's, um, it can be a, a tool for forgiving yourself for parts of you that have been, Uh, very much bashed or discredited by people around you. So like the type seven, the enthusiast gets a really bad rap because they are enthusiastic about so much stuff and they have so much energy and they're just bringing energy to everything, but they can be a little bit um, scattered. They really love the energy of starting projects. Finishing projects can be, you know, they like finishing projects, but it's that messy middle where the sevens start to uh, fall apart or disappear. Because the sevens are afraid of being deprived or trapped in pain, and they're seeking satisfaction. So the really tough parts of projects can feel like pain that they'll never get through, and so sometimes they want to run away from them, right? So that gives sevens a bad rap sometimes. And I'm not going to say, you know, if you're a seven, yeah, you have a pass to always run away um, when things get tough or to triple book yourself and then just ghost two people and go to whatever plan, you know, the third plan that just seems the funnest at the time. That's not going to win you a lot of friends. You can do that. 
but it's going to have consequences. It's going to have social consequences. Um, but you can start to go, oh, I see that I'm doing this thing because I'm afraid of being trapped in pain. So I need to give myself a little love and maybe tell myself that it's okay if I, you know, I'm trapped in pain and, and start working towards figuring out how to not let this take over my life. And accept that sometimes, yeah, I'm going to slip and I'm going to do this thing that I've always done, fall back into this behavior. But I'm also going to practice being more present when I am somewhere so that I can enjoy it rather than thinking about all the other things I'm missing out on because the sevens have big FOMO. Um, so there, <laughs> there are a lot of different things, depending on your type, that you can notice and you can use the Enneagram to uh, forgive yourself give yourself a little bit of grace when you fall back into these patterns you've lived with your whole life, but also ask yourself, how, how do I give myself the thing I need to move past this, to stop letting this control me? Um, so when people do that, it's a very useful, when people use it as that tool, it's a very useful tool in identifying what subconscious patterns we have been living in, usually our whole lives or since childhood. They're usually things that served us as children to protect us from a very uh, brutal world that we live in. Or, you know, if we weren't cared for in the way that we needed, um, we develop these coping mechanisms. But, you know, demanding attention when you're a kid is kind of cute. It's not so cute when you're an adult. Thinking of everything in terms of black or white is just a thing that kids do it's not appropriate as an adult. So we have to do that work. And the Enneagram is a really good guide for that. So that's what I would say. It's it's not good to excuse bad behavior, but as long as you're recognizing it and there's no there's no benefit to beating yourself up. So that's that's also the thing. If you notice that you're, oh, I'm falling back into this bad behavior, well, punishing yourself um, doesn't help anything. It is the antithesis to what you usually need, which is more self-love and self-understanding. So that, and then also the memification of the Enneagram, I think I don't like that at all. Um, there are, you can kind of hit some general areas on the behaviors of certain types, but as a type one, I'm always... Um, in the, the little like Enneagram memes, I'm always painted as very, very anal retentive, very much like I care. The, the common thing is like, oh, ones always care how the dishwasher is loaded. <laughs> I, I could not care less how the dishwasher is loaded. I'm like, I have bigger things in mind. Get these dishes in here so I can stop doing this. You know, or like if my husband's going to load the dishwasher, great one less dishwasher to load for me, you know? So that is just not me. And it's always that meme. And so, you know, if, if you don't relate to some of the memes, don't worry about it because they usually are very narrow and they're looking at a specific subtype. Um, there are subtypes in each type, which we won't even go there, but it's usually looking at a specific subtype. But if that's not your subtype, it's not going to hit for you. So I would say that um, don't use the Enneagram as an excuse, but use it as something to, you know, have more self-understanding and, and empathy for yourself um, and then use it as a tool to grow. And as long as you're doing that, it can apply to pretty much anything. It's kind of like up there with the horoscope. I'm a Scorpio. Sorry. No, you're just a bitch. <laughs> okay. So as a Scorpio myself. Oh, um, sorry. I just picked one. 
as a Scorpio and a bitch, I do not take offense because that is absolutely true. What's funny um, is I'm not a big astrology person, but Lord have mercy if I am not true to character Sagittarius. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, it's like a fun thing. And that's also like... I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to rain on anyone's parade if they're really into astrology. I know people get those whole birth charts and all that. Um, But this is just not that. This is not astrology. This is based in a lot of psychology. It was developed. It's been in development for, you know, over 100 years of different spiritual practice. It's like spirituality meets psychology. And there's just a lot of, and certain, you know, Certain individuals have brought in their expertise on it to create what it looks like today. And it will keep evolving and re- being refined, but it's, it's not, it is not based on the stars or anything <laughs> like that. It's based on your core motivation. Like your actual personality. Yeah. Now, another question was, should writers look at the Enneagram differently than others? And being as your book was based on authors of the Enneagram, this is right up your alley. Um, I think that writers should look at it the same, but probably more in depth and a different application. So I use it. You got to go further than that. You can't just leave it hanging. That's it. End of show. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, just using it for character development is really helpful. So in the book, I break it down. So I look at, I I look at different sections. So once you figure out your Enneagram type, um, we start at the biggest part of your career, which is your creative values. And in your creative values, we look at what you want your writing to do for you emotionally. And hint, hint, Enneagram is a big (laughs) indicator. It's (laughs) sort of like, oh, trying to fulfill that desire and avoid that fear of each type. So what you want your writing to do for you and how that looks, and then what you want your money to do for you emotionally, because we spend money for very different reasons, We, but we are usually not conscious of what emotional need we are trying to fill with each dollar that we spend. So once we understand how best to spend our money that will give us the most fulfillment, we don't need as much of it, and we kind of fall out of that more, more, more game because we feel that nice sigh of relief because, you know, if, if you want your, if you're a type two helper, you only need about 10 bucks to take a friend who is, you know, um, going through hard times out to coffee and pay for their coffee and listen to them. Right. And that as a two is really going to fill you up emotionally, that you could be there for them, that you could buy their coffee and you don't, you know, with no expectation of them reciprocating, just knowing that you have 10 bucks that you made from your books that you can put towards helping a friend. That's what it's all about, really. That's really what is going to fulfill us. It's not, it's not about, you know, buying something that that looks cool, um, which it may be for certain types, but for a two, it's not. It's about, they want to be able to help people and show that love and express that love in a way that doesn't take so much from them that they then feel like they're at a loss um, or running at a deficit <clears throat> because twos have a very hard time asking for help. Um, so they give the kind of help they wish they could get and they hope that everyone picks up on it and the rest of us are really bad at picking up on it. So um, if you're a two, that's what what you want to know what your money is for because 
you can spend 10 bucks and have a really amazing and fulfilling, emotionally fulfilling experience helping a friend and listening to them and being there for them. Whereas if you're a five doing that, it's like, uh, no thanks, probably. Like, <laughs> that's not the way I want to spend my 10 bucks. I want to spend it on a new book on this interest I have that I'm absolutely obsessed with. And I'm going to spend it, I'm going to buy this book and I'm going to set aside time. And I'm going to sit and I'm just going to read this book like cover to cover. And that's really going to give you a lot of energy as a five to sort of absorb that new knowledge. And that's going to add to your need for self-sufficiency, right? Because that knowledge creates that self-sufficiency. So once you figure out how your money can work for you, you don't need as much of it. And that eliminates the desperation mindset, the scarcity mindset, um, and it, it frees you up to make much smarter decisions that are not going to be in misalignment with your um, core motivations, uh, which a lot of authors are doing because while well, we tend to have type threes up on stage telling us what the achievers, they right. do a lot and they get up on stage and they are very motivational. They like to be motivational and they they are. They're, there's nothing wrong with threes. We need them. But if you're not a three and you don't realize that they are working with different motivations and you're going to try and do what they do. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You yep. hit burnout. Yep. That's, so. I notice that a lot in the writer world where you need to write every single day, eight hours a day, if you want to succeed. And then you got, which I'm not discounting this, the 20 books to 50K. Mm -hmm. Some people are taking that literal thinking if they just write 20 books, they'll make 50K. Well, it depends on who you are and your level of marketing and your personality. And yeah, I, it just depends. Yes, on a lot um, of things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Th that is definitely a thing. And I tried to do the rapid release thing myself because I was like, well, I can do that. I, I can do anything I set my mind to because I have um, no problem running myself into the ground. And so I, I gave it a shot. I did the rapid release thing. This was back in 2017, 2018. And I hit a wall. Um, and the reason I hit a wall was because I was writing faster than I could quality proof it. Yeah. So that for me was really, really grating because I could ignore I could ignore some of the issues that I knew were happening where I was like, ah, I didn't really get a chance to check to make sure that was consistent. Well, I'll, you know, if it's inconsistent, a reader will tell me about it. And that doesn't really feel good for me. Some people can really get away with that, but that that started to build up and weigh on me. And then there'd be these little, you know, landmines where someone would be like, hey, you have this inconsistency in book two. And I'm like, in book, you know, eight. And it just made me feel like a terrible person, like a trash person, absolutely. So I was like, okay, this is, it, it just drained my energy going that fast. So I started going a little bit slower with that series and that felt much better. And I made as much money. It was not, it was not an issue. <laughs> I was, I was writing 10 to 12 books a year and it was fun, but I started to burn out. So I've slowed myself mm -hmm. down. And of course, you know, I'm not making as much as I was making that year, but I'm also not depleting every ounce of energy I have either. It got to the point where don't talk to me. By the time my mm -hmm. husband got home, I was so burnt out. I didn't want to talk on the phone. I didn't want to go anywhere. Right. Yeah, I, tr I tried that one because if you really want to succeed as an indie, you have to put out a book a month, you know? Right. And for what? Right. For I what? So you have some money that right. you can then invest back into Amazon ads? Like that's exactly. not life. <laughs> exactly. That's and not living. It, my, my husband's uncle 
held on to every penny. Like they finally bought themselves in a refrigerator when theirs finally went kaput and couldn't be fixed anymore. And I'm talking like a fridge they bought in the fifties. <laughs> Both of them died with so much money. And it's like, what is the point of making money if you can't actually enjoy it? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I was making more money when I was putting out a book a month, but I had no energy or time to do anything else. Right. There's there's a lie that we're all fed about. You'll reach X number of dollars, which X is never defined, yeah. and then everything will be easy. And that's just, that's not how not it true. works, unfortunately. Yeah. And so we keep waiting for this payoff. But when you align your career with your Enneagram, you are giving yourself the power that you need, the energy that you need on a daily basis to just keep enjoying it. And then you, it, it doesn't just become contained to your career. When you have a, you know, aligned career and you learn more about your Enneagram type, it extends to your relationships. It extends to your free time. It extends to everything, everything in the world. It extends to your politics. It extends to your worldview. You start to just see things differently and understand the world differently. And everything is easier. That's the thing. Everything is easier once you understand it. I cannot wait to take my test. I'm so, because like I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, I just put every single one of my books on sale for 99 cents for the sole reason that I just bought a book for $4.99 and may or may not have overdrafted my account doing it, but I needed a new book. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, but I want people to be able to read. I hate them not being, and everybody's broke right now. So Mm -hmm. I went ahead and put the books on sale for 99 cents. I'm not going to make much off of it, but at least people can still read. Yeah. I I think, (laughs) I, I, I think I know what your type is, but I'm not going to bias it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't, don't jinx me here. Once you take the test, come talk to me. I have a a pretty solid idea. I know it's going to come back as number one. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that, that is how you apply it to your career when you have to make these decisions, you know, pricing is one thing. Do you Mm -hmm. want to price high? Um, so people self-select and, you know, so only the, you know, people are more likely to read the description and, you know, you need money where like if you get money. So for me, it's like, yeah, I, I want it to be accessible, but I also want to be able to make enough so that I can contribute. So my husband doesn't have to work so much. And so we can take vacations because I love vacations, you know? (laughs) I um, don't. I hate vacations. Oh, really? <laughs> I like being, everyone thinks I'm such a weirdo. My dogs are here. My cat is here and mm-hmm. my stuff is here. I want to be I in know. my house. <laughs> I know. I like about a week of vacation and then I'm usually ready to get back. But I, I haven't gone on a vacation in, in years because of the pandemic. And then I had some, one of my dogs had health issues. Now my other dog has, has health issues. Oh. But so I'm just like, oh, I'll save for that. So really what I'm doing is I'm I'm pricing based on paying for the vet bills at this point. But, Lord, and those get, I had, I lost my girl last year, but it was $3,600. I sold my 1964 Chevy Sea line pickup oof. truck to pay for the surgery and she didn't even make it. Oh, I'm so, sorry. That's, it was like, you well, have to try shoot. though. Oh yeah. That was my baby. I yeah. still have my two old girls. Once we guessed around 12, she was a pound puppy mm-hmm. and the other one is nine and she's at my feet as we speak. And then I just adopted a one-eyed cat. I had Aww. no intention of having an inside cat. I live in the country, so I have like my mouser outside. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to come in. I saw this cat on Facebook and I fell in love. You got a Facebook marketplace cat? It was a local rescue that I followed. Oh, okay. I was I was actually going to be volunteering at him at their place, but I can't drive because of my uh, vestibular issues. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, well, I still follow your page and I'll share the things. And all of a sudden this cat popped up. I'm like, son of a bitch. Yeah. And I just fell happens. in love. And he is 
the coolest cat. He doesn't knock anything off of counters. Like, oh, he nice. just sleeps all day. <laughs> Not a chaos element. No. That's novel. No, and he knows when we go to go to bed because he just pretty much perches on my bed all night. As soon as I brush my teeth and pull my hair up, he knows it's time to leave. He like knows our routine. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> he knows you can put him back on the streets. He's been yeah. there. Listen, he says, I'm not going back. I brought you into this house. I can take you back out. <laughs> I have stray cats that show up here because they know there's cat food. Possums, they know. So I just feed them. It is what it is. I, mm-hmm. As long as you don't bother my cat, I don't care. Yeah. That's it's, how you do it. Yeah. We're we're in a rural town. I'm from St. Louis, just FYI. And I moved to a rural town. So from things being open 24-7 to things closing at like 8, 9 o'clock was culture shock. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it took, Now I'm like, I love the slow pace. I love the quiet. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about recharging when it's warm. I recharge by sitting on my back patio barefoot. No noise. Yeah. No noise. No phone. No book. Just. Yeah. Do it without the nonfiction and that's rest. Yes. But it's, oh my God, if I sit outside and not do something, it's lazy. Yeah. You got it. You got to stick it to the man for making you think that, you know? Right. Or stick it to the woman, one of them, because my mom was kind of the same way. <laughs> yeah. <She's laughs> women can be part of the man. Yeah. She's slowing down now because she had a back injury. She got a car accident. So mm. maybe that's what I need to do, get injured. Yeah. You know? It's got to be an act of defiance sometimes. <laughs> Just roll myself down the stairs. Uh-oh, now I need a break. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making myself useful to you right now. <laughs> I'm sitting out here and I'm looking at this leaf because it's a cool leaf. Well, I, I told my husband I stuck it, I more or less stuck it to the man this weekend because I said, I don't care what anybody else thinks and started pulling out my Christmas decorations. Not all, just a oh. little here, a little there. I have a whole, it's like a walk-in closet size full of Christmas up to the ceiling. So I used to bring it all out at one time. I'm like, I'm not even doing that to myself. I just, a little here, a little there this weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't care that it's almost Thanksgiving. I do what yeah. I want. Yeah, you do what you want. Doesn't matter. Seasons are changing anyway. And it's cold and we had snow. So you know what? (laughs) This has been the most fun interview. I I love when people are so passionate about something and it comes through your voice so much. Like I love that so much. I do. I know that I have a tendency to sound a little bit like a Enneagram preacher. So I I try and reel that in. No, um, it was was passionate. I love it. wasn't like MLM stuff, you know, where they're like, oh, this type will help you sell. It just, I know. I should, though. I mean, you should, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's really my Enneagram type that's keeping me from making MLM money off this. It's unfortunate, but, you know, I got to stay aligned. People like me would have been taking these courses and stuff had they known about it. But, you know, the algorithm them on Facebook shows us like the same three people. I'm just yeah. saying. And I forget to mention it. I make these things and then I forget to mention it because I'm like, all right, on to the next. And I'm also writing a bunch of fiction books myself. And so I'm like, oh, I did that thing. Great. What's next on my schedule? And then it's like, oh, I should probably market, which I know is something that I'm doing like subconsciously because I don't like marketing. Um, so I'm making my schedule so busy so that I just am constantly producing because that's a more comfortable thing for me than marketing. Hate so, marketing. Hate marketing. I know. It, I don't like I don't like pitching myself no. and my stuff. I'm kind of like, well, here it is if you want it. Uh, if you don't want it, that's fine. I totally understand. So I'm the worst marketer, which is why I hang out with 
Enneagram type threes because the achievers are great marketers by nature. And so Brian Cohen, my co-host of Still More Book Show, is a type three. And he bashes me over the head like, you have to market this product. And I'm like, I don't want to. And so he helps me write um, great copy. And uh, he helped me a lot with the marketing for Reclaim Your Author Career because I was just like, well, I guess I can just like kind of let people know about it. I I had it named (laughs) something else. And he was like, that name sucks. Uh, We're going to get you a new title. And I'm like, okay, whatever you say. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. And I I just trust him because I know that he is better at marketing than me just in his nature. He I is just, a promoter. I went to a, a show in, in September and when I walked in, I'm dragging all my stuff in and this guy was already set up. He's like, can I interest you in a book? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm actually your vendor neighbor here. I'm setting up too. Uh-huh. And every person that walked in, can I interest you in a book? Can I interest you in a book? And then he'd get up and he'd walk around with his book and like try to, and I'm like, I could never do that. Mm-mm. I could never, I just, people walk by, I'm like, oh, I love your earrings. And they'd come over and talk to me and then they'd pick up a book. I like just relate to people or their costumes or whatever. And yeah. then they'd come over. I could never be like, come and get my book, come and get my book. I know. I'm always afraid that someone's going to get one of my products and they don't really need it. You know, like they spent more money on it than they had. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Um, Oh my God, we are so much alike. (laughs) But it's absolutely like none of my business what they do. So that's, that's like, okay, Claire, you can just be honest and like talk about it and then people can figure it out for themselves. We're all adults, you know? So that's like my hang up that I have to get over. It's like, well, you just tell them about it, Claire. And then they decide if they want it or not. Um, you're not you're not smarmy. You're not corrupted just because you're trying to sell this smarmy. thing you've put hundreds of hours into. And that's the thing like, is we do put hundreds of hours. And then I just marked down all my books to 99 cents because I can't stand the thought of people not being able to read, especially going into these cold months when we're all locked inside. And you know, there's the triple-demic coming now is what they're mm-hmm. saying. So we're all going to be locked down again. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm already there. I'm sort of, I'm getting sick before it's cool again. (laughs) I Um, used to get a cold every three or four years once my kids were out of daycare. And then I mm -hmm. caught this uh, virus that caused the vestibular, it's a permanent thing. So I'm more or less disabled. I am terrified of catching so much as a cold because it makes my condition like a hundred times worse. So when I got COVID, I stared at the ceiling for nine days. (laughs) It's like, I can't move. Yeah. But yeah, and that arrested. so sickness is another thing that can mess up the Enneagram test yes. results. Just a heads up, uh, <laughs> it, it, it will it will make you test the wrong type. I'm not sick now. I just it's a permanent disability. As yeah. the shots kick in, it's Botox shots. As they kick in, I can drive a little bit, but I still like I can't actually go get a job because I might have a migraine that day, or I might have mm. bad mm-hmm. vertigo that day. I have the vertigo or the uh, migraine symptoms twenty four seven is what it is. And then uh, the migraines in between. So the Botox helps with the immense pain and helps with the brain fog. But yeah, I just, I, I, can't, kinda, I can't wait to take this test. I kind of think you need to raise your book prices. I will. I think after Christmas, I had raised them and they were doing well. Um, even my, the even the um, Amazon ads aren't even being touched right now. They're like mm-hmm. not even being clicked on. And I just... I overdrafted my business account buying a book and I'm like, I I don't want people to do that. Yeah, but you can't control what they do. You can control what you do. I know. Put the, raise those prices, <laughs> value your work, get that money. So you, 
you can write more books. When I when I raised them initially, I was a nervous wreck. I raised them from 99 cents to 2.99 and oh my gosh, I called my husband, I called my PA, I called my editor, I called my best friend. I'm like what if nobody buys them and they were buying them? I was like holy cow. Holy yeah. cow. People, People can buy them. them. People will buy them. Yeah. One one of the the things that is not talked about enough among authors is that raising your prices from $3.99 to $4.99 does not affect sales. It only gives you more money. I think I actually got more sales when I raised it. Yeah, that is also a thing. There is some psychology behind higher prices and that sort of thing. I mean, yeah. So I just just from one person to another, one author to another, I think you should raise your prices. Uh, people will, you know, just because you're in that situation where, you know, you're having trouble doesn't mean that other people can't, you know, people yeah. have different situations. Um, get that money. You got to you got to have that money to keep writing these books. <sighs> Claire, you're worth it. Lynn. <laughs> you just made me all anxious. <laughs> What if they can't afford it? I like I said, I was it, a nervous wreck when I originally raised it, and then today, I mean, I was beating myself up thinking about lowering it, and then I went ahead and did it. Now I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, that's thirty five cents for hundreds of hours. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't feel very good. No. I think I think it's probably worth more than that. And here's the thing: if readers can't afford it, they will email you. You can trust them to do that. They will email you with a sob story and ask for a free one if they can't afford it. I've actually had that happen where I gave somebody a book and they never cracked the spine. And I'm like, do you understand that I had to pay for that paperback? That mm-hmm. I, I paid for it to not only buy it, but then to mail it to you and you didn't even crack the spine. Yeah. You're being too nice. This is a business. <laughs> this is a business. I, and that's I, that's what I was focusing on this year was cr- creating or treating it more like a business instead of, okay, you can have it for free if you leave a review and they never leave a review and I've gotten pickier though over my street team and my betas and things like that. If you don't leave a review, two books, I give you two books. You can have an excuse, but the second book, if you haven't done it, you're not on the beta team anymore. You said you don't do betas anymore. Uh, I I do arc, but I'll do an arc team, but I don't really do betas unless it's like a brand new genre to me. Then I'll I'll have someone look over it to make sure I didn't completely butcher it. But (laughs) I am actually stepping into, I I dabbled in uh, romantic fantasy. And I was a nervous wreck sending that out. People loved it. And then I'm actually dabbling in like a, I guess it'd be considered a bodyguard romance. It won't Ooh. leave me alone. I got to get it out so that I can move mm-hmm. on to my shifters again. So I, it was to the point where I was dreaming about it. This has mm. been probably one of the coolest interviews I think I've ever had. <laughs> well, thank you. I love learning new stuff. Now, FFS Media, FFS.media, right? Mm-hmm. Is, yep. that the, is that where you want people to look for you? Yeah, you can you can find me. All of my fiction and my nonfiction is at ffs.media. And it'll you, you go to that website, it'll ask you, are you a reader or a writer? And then you can pick which which way. If you're looking for my nonfiction, you're a writer. If you're looking for something to read, you're a reader. Um, and all of my stuff is there. And I think right now the landing page is a big in your face. Buy, reclaim your author career now. So if you go to ffs.media, it'll direct you to buy the book if you're interested in that. If you're I'm, not, there's a button to get past it. I'm going to it right now to see. Hold on. Hold on. As we're talking. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. First thing. Yep. <laughs> Look at me mentioning the things that I create. You're marketing. Woo. I know. I'm marketing. I'm really marketing. Brian, if you're listening, she marketed herself. I know. Brian, did I do good? He better be listening. We mentioned him like three or four times today. 
Yeah, I think you have to mention him five times and he just appears and he goes, hey, like, everybody, <laughs> welcome to another episode of the Selmore Book Show. <laughs> I had to ask him about his picture with uh, with uh, Kristen Chinoweth. No, not her. Uh, oh, Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. to ask him. I'm like, how did you meet her? Hey, we yeah. have, he and I have completely opposite tastes in TV shows. It's all I <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We have, he and I have a little overlap, but not much. No, I'm... Walking Dead, Blacklist, The Boys, like I <laughs> Oh, I love The Boys. Oh my god, I'm so obsessed with that. <laughs> oh my god. It's like, oh, now you're going to throw in Jensen Ackles as well. Okay. Oh, okay, season 3. I see you. Girl, one of my best friends is a, a Southern Baptist preacher. He's former boss, and he's like, "Well, is it good?" I'm like, "Don't watch it." <laughs> <laughs> Not for you. <laughs> I have to, Yes, I have to be very uh conscientious about who I recommend that show to. <laughs> not for you. <laughs> it's not the cousins so much as like the season where they went to the orgy. <laughs> oh man, the deep gets me every time. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, okay, we got to stop talking about that. We're we're at an hour at this point, so I yeah. will let you leave my presence. I am so appreciative to have had you on today. This was a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for having me on. This was fun. And I will make sure I have all those links in the the show notes for you guys. And we will see you next week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Road to an Abundant Author Life, feel free to leave a review on whatever outlet you listen from. Click the subscribe button. And if you have any questions, email me at AbundantAuthorLife at Yahoo.com.